Welcome to episode 13 of Frog Fever, a uh, Big 12 basketball podcast brought to you by KillerFrogs.com. My name is Davis Wilson. With me, as always, is Nick Germani. Nick, we have a pretty good episode. I think it's kind of an historic Frog Fever episode. We have two guests for the first time ever. We've got first uh, Ian Impeachin, a KillerFrogs.com colleague of ours, coming on to talk TCU basketball the week they had. And then we get... TCU assistant coach Michael Rice comes on after that to talk about analytics, recruiting, transfer portal, Chuck O'Bannon against Baylor, all the good stuff. It's a really cool interview, so stay around for that. Um, But we'll start with Big 12. But how are you doing, Nick? How's it going? I'm good, yeah. I'm super excited for this episode. Um, You know, Ian's a good friend of Killer Frogs, and he he has a podcast of his own, Riff Ram Review, which you should check out on all platforms. talks TCU sports and all that kind of stuff and then Mike Rice getting him on is big you know that's our first real like inside the program type type guy which we talk coaching and more of the in and outs of the program which is a super interesting listen and just want to thank both men for coming on but to start it off I mean what a week in college basketball that slate on Saturday was dude sick like yeah I guess it's because football is taking the weekend off but I mean, games they were loaded. The they were electric. Yeah. yeah, Duke, UNC, you know, yeah. Houston, Kansas. There's so much from Tennessee, Kentucky, St. Mary's, Gonzaga. Shout out the Gales. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if we want to start off with Big Twelve, I think you kind of have to start off with that Kansas-Houston game. Yeah, let's start Kansas-Houston. We've talked a lot about Kansas last week. We we had our thoughts about Kansas and you know how good they really were. What a game for them. They absolutely, I mean, they, the first half, they outscored Houston 43 to 28. And I don't know the stats on any of this, but I imagine that 43 points and a half has got to be one of the highest totals that Houston's allowed all year. For sure. And there's that Allen Fieldhouse crowd was unbelievable. So good. Um, Yeah. Kansas. I mean, they put it together today. I, if you would have told me, gun in my head, pick who's going to win this game, I would have said Houston because yeah. I've been super high on Houston the whole year. Um, but I think we saw it with Houston is that they have by far the best defense in college basketball, and I think even one of the best defenses historically in college basketball all the time. Mm-hmm. And they play the slow pace that pisses you off and makes you uncomfortable. I would say. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but if they, you know. Kansas are just on fire. So if they get behind in a game, it's so tough for them to pick it back up, I would say. Um, because they just don't know how to play at that fast pace where you need to, uh, to make a lead disappear fast. And from the Kansas perspective, we've been waiting for a guy outside of McCullough, Dickinson, and even KJ Adams to emerge as that fourth scorer. And Johnny Furphy... Yeah, my yeah. guy yeah he's he's fun he's super fun to watch you know the freshman from australia he was the guy that stepped up you mm-hmm. know he had 17 points on you know three four from three six of seven from the from the floor all night and he was that x factor that um was killing kansas from deep and you know because the blueprint for kansas was okay take out mccullough and dickinson and even KJ a little bit and make everybody else beat us because they have no bench. 
mm-hmm. and no real other guys. But Johnny Furphy's that guy that has stepped up and, and shadow Kansas. It, it makes me a lot higher on Kansas than I was a week ago, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Furphy is that difference maker for them. We've been, yeah, you mentioned, you said it. We've we've been wondering, like, who is the guy that's going to help out McCuller and Dickinson and I guess KJ Adams. And we're we're thinking, you know, maybe it's El Marco Jackson, the five-star freshman. Um, maybe it's Nick Timberlake, this, you know, supposedly really great shooter. But it's Johnny Furphy, the Australian. And, I mean, he's been on quite a run. He really does, like, he makes this a different team, I think. He's, so yeah, let's see. His, his last, I mean, yeah, he's on a stretch of games right now. I think it's so. Here's the six last games against Houston. He had 17. Against Oklahoma State, he had 11. Against Iowa State, he had 15. Against Cincinnati, he had 23. Against West Virginia, he had 13. Against Oklahoma State, he had 15. So that's six games in a row of him in double figures. He's he really does add something to this Kansas team that they desperately needed. And I agree with you. I'm 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 I feel better about that team than I did a week ago. That's a really really nice win for them. Yeah, benching Elmarco Jackson, who was that five-star All-American guy for Johnny Furphy, which I'm sure was a tough decision for self, was the move of the year that um that has seemed to really like revitalize Kansas. They've won two straight now. Um, Oklahoma State and then Houston this week. When last week after the loss to Iowa State, you know, I still do think there's lots of question marks with Kansas. And yeah, absolutely. I may sound crazy, but I still think you know uh, a Houston or another team like i i know they just beat houston so it sounds stupid but uh in a you know seven game series or something like that they houston still probably gets the best of them i would say mm-hmm. but furphy's added a different element to the that starting lineup that el marco just wasn't doing and he wasn't that much of a difference maker i would say and even on the bench he hasn't been doing that great so that's that's the move of the year for kansas i think and um you know, they're, they're looking up for sure. And I think they got a lot more dangerous with that win. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, Kansas is a great team. We know that, but I think our concerns are still valid with them. Like their bench didn't do much. Their bench had seven combined points. Shout out to Parker Brown for scoring five points. That's, yeah, that's a lot of points for their bench. So shout out to him in just eight minutes. I think the concerns are still there though. Like if you, what happens if Dickinson gets in foul trouble? You just, I mean, it, it gets tougher um, for sure. And Furphy, you know, he was in foul trouble a while. Didn't matter. But um, I think that, yeah, that this group of like Houston, Kansas, and like Iowa State, I think are probably my three favorite teams in the conference. Yeah. Um, and it's fun because if they all played each other, if they just rotated playing each other at, at different venues – I think it'd be really even. And I think that like any, any of them could beat the other. I mean, it's that's how it is throughout the conference. But with these three, really, I think any of them can beat each other anywhere. So it's really cool to see. I'm excited for that. The final game of the regular season um, is Houston hosting Kansas this time. So, which obviously is going to, um, be a whole different thing when you're not at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, it's it's a different story, and yeah, those three teams I like them a lot, and they're you know they're fun 
to, to see play against each other. Obviously, Iowa State and Kansas played played a really good game uh, last weekend. So, yeah, those three are fun, and it just is representative of how this conference is and how every every game is going to, you know, you can't, you can't go into a game and say that I know exactly what's going to happen here. It's just not how it works because nobody really knows um, what's going to happen. Definitely for sure. Uh, you know, the top of the Big 12 is, is a cluster and we'll get into it later but um yeah so so many different teams are good and every night you can get caught and houston had a bad night like houston had a historically bad first half shooting wise um Mm -hmm. which put them in a hole that they couldn't get out of so you know kansas played great houston played bad you just have those nights and and you move on that's what's so great about college basketball that's you know it's a one game thing so Mm -hmm whatever happens happens and you can never expect anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the the highest point total that Houston allowed all year, that 78 points for Kansas. So that Kansas offense came to play and um, that was huge for them. Kansas going forward has, they have Kansas state on the road, which we'll talk about Kansas state next. And then they have Baylor uh, at Allen Fieldhouse next Saturday. So another really interesting slate of games, but that Kansas Kansas State game, it's a rivalry. It's in it's in Manhattan. Um, Kansas State fans are going to show up, but you know, are you giving Kansas State any chance in this game? Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a rivalry. It's one of the best in college basketball. I'd say, and a lot of people would agree. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Sunflower Showdown or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you're Kansas going to Kansas State. Like they're gonna get loud, yeah. That yeah. place is is tough to play as well, and um, yeah. And Kansas coming off a big high, so I mean, if you go in K State, which we could talk about now, is that they're coming up. They need a big win to keep their tourney hopes alive and their season alive. So, um, if you want to look at K State at a more tight lens. They've lost four straight now, mm-hmm. which you can't do if you want to ha- be successful. And the thing that's so alarming about K-State is that they've had uh, probably about as easy of a start as you can in the Big 12. Um, yeah. They, you know, early on they started, they were 4-1 and one tied at the top of the conference, but they their wins were UCF, West Virginia. They beat Baylor in overtime, which you go to overtime with Tang, it's an auto win. And then you Oklahoma State. And then even this week, they were favored in both of those games, having Oklahoma at home and going at Oklahoma State. And they lost both of those outright. Now, you lose four straight, and then, you know, you expect to to be able to bounce back with a win because you play tough teams. But they go Kansas, as you said, at BYU. They have TCU, Texas, and BYU again. And those are probably – top six or seven teams, all of them in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. So I don't even know if you can think I – don't, I don't even think they'll be favored in any single one of those games. Mm-hmm. So I think it really is panic mode for um, for Jerome Tang and the crew over there because you had expectations coming in this year that you brought in transfer, you know, Tyler Perry and, and Arthur Kluma and all these different – type of playmakers and it's turning into a disappointing season fast for for Kansas State 
Yeah, it's it's really a, a w- way too early to think about this, but I'm excited to see like the coaching carousel stuff. I wonder if Tang sticks around at Kansas State if they don't if they aren't able to turn around. I think there are going to be some interesting job openings across the country. Um, so that'll be interesting, especially just the way the Kaluma situation went. Um, we talked about that a long time ago. Like it yeah. may have been right on the wall. Yeah, sorry, Tomlin, Tomlin, think, yeah. Tomlin not Kaluma. Tomlin. Um, but we talked about how that was a messy situation at Kansas State, and maybe it was writing on the wall of what was to come, but um obviously early to talk about that. And you know, they have a chance this week. It's a really, really tough week. They play um Kansas and they go to BYU to probably the top four or five teams in, in the conference. But if they win both those games, you're you know, it's 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 an interesting um conversation again about that Kansas State team but obviously really 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 tough slate coming up tougher than anything they've had so far um but yeah I think we're are we are we getting ready to write this team off or or how do you feel about them yeah I mean they need the big win this week I would say you know that Kansas game Monday is going to be massive because in that environment, in their rivalry, anything can happen. They're going to be so hyped for that game that um, it's definitely winnable. I mean, Kansas State has a town, as we said, but they need a big win fast or else their uh, their resume isn't looking too good for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, what next? What do you? Who do you want to do next? There were some yeah. some other big games. Do you want to do? Um, do you want to talk about that Baylor Iowa State game? before we get yeah. into, like the the inner the bubble stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a great game, dramatic finish. Give me your thoughts on that game. Yeah, just an all-time um I don't want to say all-time, but just a, a classic college basketball game where it was back and forth. Baylor had a huge lead at one yeah. point and I think mm-hmm. Iowa State had like a 16 nothing run or like a 17 nothing run where they just catapulted back. Uh, and it really came after Scott or during, I would say, when Scott Drew got ejected. And mm-hmm. it was a funny ejection, too, because I believe he got ejected for stepping on the court. And then there's been so many other coaches like you can look to a shock of smart or a, Jamie um, Dixon lives on the court. Yeah, <laughs> Jamie Dixon, that it was a funny ejection because obviously we don't or we don't like Baylor. So you don't want to like defend them or anything but it, it was a funny ejection for sure wow. and that kind of sparked the iowa state run but down the stretch i believe it was a tie game tame and lipsy gets a uh gets a hit to tie it up by or take a lead or something like that and mm-hmm. then Jaden nunn comes back and gets an and one and then um god it was uh mo mo Ki- mon chiklovich mm-hmm. is that how you say it i you think know, so i yeah. i I just call him Dirk because he does the the <laughs> Dirk signature move. So that's that's what I know him as. But he shoots a half quarter at the end that like point one seconds before it would be like the shot of the year. Yeah. For college basketball. Banks you know, it in. Great. Yeah, awesome. him and Emmanuel Miller would have to fight it over for that. It mm. took the heart out of Foster Pavilion, but then they, they erupted when they saw the um the replay. But just a great game. My big takeaway from it is that Iowa State super good and Baylor is still super good. Yeah. That like was they just, just yeah, it was two great teams going at it. And for Baylor to beat Iowa State, which is, you know, as 
we talk about later, probably we agree that they're a top three team in the conference is mm-hmm. a massive win for Baylor because they were struggling last week, you know, losing three straight as we as we saw. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, man, that was just one of those games that you hope you see when you turn on a college basketball game. Just a close game, back and forth, a comeback, an ejection, a you know, insane dramatics at the end of the game. But I I like what you said about your takeaway being that Iowa State's really good and that Baylor's really good. I think that's I think that's perfect. These are just two really good teams. My you know, opinion of, of neither gets worse after that, you know, like Baylor, Baylor beating Iowa state doesn't make me feel any different about Iowa state. It's just an awesome yeah. game. And, you know, Baylor maybe is that fourth spot in the conference. Now they're, they're certainly hovering around I'd there so and too. they had a nice week. You mentioned like they lose to Kansas state, Texas and TCU three in a row which I think is the first time they've lost three conference games in a row in a long time. And then they turn around and beat UCF on the road, which, you know, that's nice. And um, they, they get Iowa state at home and, and play a really nice game. Um, But yeah, just really two great teams playing a great game is all you can ask for in this conference. Yeah. That game too uh, clinched. Because I believe Iowa State was the last team that only had two conference losses at that point in the day because that was the last um, game of the day. So every mm-hmm. team in the Big 12 has at least three losses with just playing, I don't know, eight or nine games in for, for those guys mm-hmm. at the start of February. And no team has less than – the only team that has two wins is Oklahoma State. So the parity in this league, which we've been saying so much throughout the year, is happening – where there's so many four and five teams, there's so many five and three, five, like, you know, this conference is so, so, so wide open. I think we kind of have a feel for the top of the thing. Like I would say Houston, um, K-State, Iowa State, Baylor right outside. I still think BYU is right outside. I think TCU's in that area. Like there's so many teams that are still in play to win this conference, which is what's so exciting because you don't know what to expect. Mm Mm-hmm every game and every week um yeah i don't know that's just insane to me how you really have no idea what's going to happen as it turns out because three losses for every team at this at the start of february is Mm -hmm. mind-blowing to me it's awesome yeah the big 12 is just insane yeah that's a really cool stat i didn't i didn't even think about that like no team is far better than the next team it's just cool that way and it's wide open. Like I, I guess getting some of these tie-breaking results, like Houston losing to Kansas, may may be a big deal down the line. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see. I, I wouldn't really know who to put my money on if I had to bet like regular season champ of this conference. I have an idea about two or three of them, but I yeah. think it really could go in any direction, um, which is just so awesome because for a long time that's not how the big 12 was it's been kansas yeah. conference for kansas, yeah. like decades so the fact that it's now so wide open and so talented is such a cool thing for big 12 basketball fans like us to watch definitely for sure yeah. um I, it just makes me so much more excited about march and what's gonna come every week because yeah it was kansas conferences before and kansas is i mean they just came off a win for houston so it's not like like, I don't want to say down year, but 
it's just more of a point that everybody's good, which I yeah. feel like we repeat it every week, but it's there's something new mind blowing every week that brings up how good the Big 12 is. Yeah. All right, let's do in or out. We have three teams we're going to talk about, but two of them we kind of, I think we both have the same idea about. We'll start with Texas. We talk more about the Texas TCU game uh, later with Ian, but let's talk about Texas a little bit. They they go, what are they? They go one and one this week. They they lose yeah. to Houston in overtime. They go to Fort Worth and, and to a really rowdy atmosphere, rowdy crowd, and they pull out a win there. Um, what do you think about this team? We both had Texas outside of the bubble last week, but where where do you put them now? What do you think? Yeah, I don't love to say it, but I mean, you have to put them in. Yeah, they playing, um, playing Houston that close, and Houston is obviously one of the best teams in the nation. Mm-hmm. Was a signifier that they're kind of figuring it out, and they come into TCU where they're underdogs, and getting the win outright was massive. They they jumped from before the TCU game to after in the net from thirty nine to thirty two, mm-hmm. and they're now twenty six in Ken Palm. Um, their talents finally starting to show. They're finally starting to put it together, and uh, I hate to say it, but they're they're kind of a dangerous team now. They yeah. have a very interesting game Tuesday against Iowa State, where they're hosting Iowa State. Mm-hmm. If they can pull out that win, I'm interested to see what the spread's going to be. It might be a pick em, um type of situation where it'll be close, but that game's going to be awesome. Um, and uh, I'm excited to watch this Texas team because they're one of those teams that they're they're getting hot at the right time and. Um, yeah, they're dangerous for sure, and I would say they're in. Yeah, they have the talent. We've known that they've had really good basketball players on their roster, and now like Acemas is really heating up. He's on, he's on actually an insane stretch. He has not. He's actually scored in double figures in every game he's played this year, which is, which is pretty impressive. He had he had thirty two a couple weeks ago against West Virginia. Obviously, scored twenty one yesterday against tcu 13 of those 21 were in the last like minute or so or whatever it was but um he's a he's a serious player in this conference one of the i think he's one of the conference's best talents definitely one of the conference's best scores um and i think that yeah they have the talent to do it they have a talent to beat anyone on any given night which is what you want no, for sure. And I think I mentioned it later in the show too, but I mean he just passed Danny Manning um to go to number thirteenth all time in scoring for college basketball. So we always know from the Oral Robert days and you know that fifteen seed team and but he's one of the most one of the best shot makers in all of college basketball history and I think mm-hmm. the stats back it up and yeah. Um he's he's a special talent for sure. And yeah, you look at him and like the stats are great, but like his clutch, his, whatever clutch gene he has has like yeah kept Texas in this conversation for so long, like yeah. this bubble conversation. Without without him, they don't. What what are those games? It's Louisville it early, Louisville. early in the year. Yeah, Cincinnati. Beat, yeah, I think yeah, it was Cincinnati, yeah. and they're both that same coming off the screen mid range, and mm-hmm. he has that that fadeaway that he's yeah, yeah that he's worked so hard on yeah it's yeah. it's insane watching him play because he's not big at all and he he wasn't recruited by like oral roberts was his only offer at a, at a high school so mm-hmm. it's a cool story for sure i hate that yeah. he's at texas but yeah, yeah he, he's a step for sure yeah he's he's been awesome to 
keep up with. I remember, I remember his first Oral Roberts run years ago, and um, just had a lot of fun watching him. It's cool now that he's on a bigger stage in the Big Twelve and still yeah, uh, making all proving. these big plays. But yeah. I'm going to go with you. The metrics say that Texas is in. You say that Texas is in. I say that Texas is in. Let's move on to um, let's do Cincinnati next. What do you think about Cincinnati? Yeah, Cincinnati is the toughest one for sure this week because mm-hmm. they um, they split the past two weeks and they've just been riding on the bubble. You know, mm-hmm. I think they've split the past three weeks. You know, they're yeah, they and whatever, which mm-hmm. is they keep just staying in the same spot. Um, yeah, they won't. Yeah, they they won't, they won't make a move. Yeah, exactly. They had a bad loss to West Virginia to start the week. Um, yeah, at West Virginia is tough to play, but if you want to make the tournament, you win those games. You set it over and over again, mm-hmm. and then you go to Texas Tech, who um, has been, you know, they were first place in the Big Twelve coming into last week on their own and get the win in Lubbock, which is super impressive. So I think it's the same thing, where you. You could put them in, you could put them out, and I wouldn't care. They're right on that bubble. I'd say they might miss just slightly because they're waiting for that mm-hmm. signature moment where they put string together a couple of wins and mm-hmm. really cement themselves as that team. But I mean, they're really good. They're, I mean, TBD is what I would. Yeah, I, I, I like was, that. Yeah. yeah, it's they're thirty in Ken Palm, thirty in net. So you probably put – and their stock is rising after the Tech win. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I'd i say – because I believe I put them just out last week, and I'd probably have to say the same this week. But you get another nice win, you, you're going to be right in there. And I'm sure yeah. the, the committee's looking at Cincy as – yeah. Cincy fans must be stressed out every yeah, week. Just they're... every game means so much. Yeah. Yeah, so they're fifteen and seven overall. They're four and five in the Big Twelve now. They they went to um they went to West Virginia and to Texas Tech this week, which last week we talked about those two being two of the three best atmospheres in the whole country. And they split those games. Um, like you said, obviously you want to beat West Virginia regardless of where the game's being played because they're not that good. But yeah, I just want to see him go on a run. Like like they have a a really tough slate ahead, but it's a it's an excellent opportunity for them to string together like one or two big wins. So you're riding that Texas Tech win in Lubbock. Um they next week they they don't have a midweek game. They go they play next Saturday. They host Houston and then they they they'll play uh Iowa State at home as well, which we've talked about a lot those two teams being the top of the conference if they could win one of those games you know pair that with the texas tech win or if they can even get both of them which would be crazy but it's possible because they're at home um that's the type of run this team needs right now and the metrics the analytics whatever the rankings say that they're probably in they're like you said they're 30th in both net and kimpom but i think they need to just they need to make some sort of move i think and um yeah i think they're just 
I think they're probably just out, but they have a really cool. I mean, they have a really good opportunity this week to to move in. Yeah, them hosting Houston this weekend is going to be fun for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Another easy one is Kansas State. I think we both agree on this one. Kansas State had a disaster week. We talked about them earlier. Um, what do you think about them? Yeah, I'll keep the short because we just did like a, a pretty good analysis on them. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I'm ready to give up on this Kansas State team just because yeah. of the gauntlet of a schedule that they have coming up. Like mm-hmm. very realistically, like I said, lose their next five games in the uh, Ken Palm has them projected to finish seven eleven in conference, which after they started four and one, you know, you we thought we were wrong about them, but um, yeah, they're not in. They're they're seventy five in Ken Palm, eighty three in net, and they would have to do something crazy to um to be back on the segment. I would say for the rest of the year. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah. They're 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 down bad right now. Yeah, I'll keep it short as well. They're out, and I think I'm just about out on them overall. I don't think they, they don't have enough. I mean, they're they're four and five, but they've lost four in a row, and the the four wins that they have are not the best wins you can have in this conference. Like it was, you already said it, but it's their their wins in this conference are UCF, West Virginia, Baylor in overtime, and Oklahoma State. So there's just not much to like about the resume they have the team they have i'm out on them and hopefully this is the last time we have to i mean maybe they'll surprise us and uh make another appearance in the in or out segment but ken palm says they'll only win one of their remaining games so i think they're just about done and they can we can probably retire them from this part of the weekly episode yeah for sure Uh, i am excited to watch them in kansas as we talked about but yeah um but yeah, they'll they'll need a win there or over the weekend to um to be back on the segment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else? Any 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 games you're looking forward to this week in particular for the just Big Twelve slate? I know you mentioned yeah. Iowa State at Texas is a big one. What are some other ones you're you're excited for? Yeah, um Tech goes to Baylor, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um God, Oklahoma plays BYU. Mm-hmm. Cincy Houston, as I've said, um, yeah, I mean, TCU Iowa State is going to be a good one. Every game in the Big Twelve is yeah is great, so everyone's exciting. Like oh, even Oklahoma State getting a win, like shout out the Pokes, yeah, being competitive still. Like you would probably wouldn't have thought they'd be K State. Um, mm-hmm. So again and again, every game is super exciting. Yeah, but, next next Saturday is pretty loaded. Again, we get yeah. another pretty good Saturday. Um, TCU at Iowa State, West Virginia at Texas, which doesn't sound like it's huge, but Texas lost to West Virginia already. Um, let's see, Baylor at Kansas is next Saturday. Oklahoma State at Oklahoma, which you know another one of those rivalry games that is likely to be competitive. Just another, yeah, it should be another fun week of basketball in the Big Twelve. For sure, yeah, and definitely you know stick around. These next segments are great, like. Yeah, to talk about before the talking with Ian about TCU, we get we get in depth on the struggles and benefits. And Mike Rice was a great interview. Shout out him coming on again. Like yeah. it's it's cool to be able to talk to um to guys like that just doing the podcast. So it, it's it's cool for sure. 
Yeah, two really fun guests this week. Also, a little sneak peek next week. We have a good guest. We won't spoil who it is, but um, be ready for next week's pod because it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah. for now, we'll uh, we'll just take a quick break and then we'll bring on Ian Napishan to come talk TCU hoops. Let's do it. All right, now joining us to talk some TCU ball, we have uh, another Killer Frogs rider for us. You know, he also covers basketball for TCU 362. Um, Ian Napishan, you know, a great rider, big TCU fan, obviously. So we're happy to have you here. No, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate being on. Um, and uh, looking forward to talking some TCU men's basketball. Um, definitely had some uh, some interesting games this last week. So um, definitely excited to get into it. Yeah. yeah, very, very up and down week. Um, you know, we we split the games between tech and in Texas, which which is probably fine in my opinion. Um we should probably go in chronological order though, I would think. If we want to mm-hmm. start with that Texas Tech game, which was on Tuesday, we pulled out the win 85-78. And um we had Mike Rice uh on the pod, assistant coach, which you but you'll hear in a minute. And we kind of talked about this game with him and and how it was a big win, but um I mean, just going out in general, that environment was awesome. You know, it's getting that time of the year where environments are starting to get really good in the Sholey and um, big win as we as we shot the ball well. What are you guys' takeaways to start it off? Yeah, yeah um, that was me. a that was big time. Um, sorry, Ian. One, uh, I was gonna just bring up immediately the game yeah. Trey Tennyson had and how he's becoming kind of the most important like it's he's kind of the x factor in terms of this tcu team and if he's gonna have a good game like that shooting the ball four of eight from three that's huge but ian go ahead no yeah i i was i was actually just gonna say the exact same thing um seeing tennyson go off for 23 points is great i mean he's definitely one, one of our sharpest shooters if not our most consistent sharp shooter especially from deep um and also seeing that five tcu guys got into double figures for scoring i think that's huge um, and, and that's obviously going to be a recipe for success going forward if, if the team can get guys into double figures. And um, kind of going back to what you said, Nick, about splitting the this week's set of games, I think as much as it was a tough loss to Texas, which I'm sure we'll get into later, I think the win over Texas Tech was bigger than the loss to Texas um, in terms of seeding and, and you know rankings and things like that. Um, but really happy to see TCU get that win over uh tech on what was that tuesday and um i I wasn't there live to watch the game but i i heard the atmosphere was just absolutely ridiculous in the shoulder so yeah it was cool you know um obviously with pop the pop isaac situation was going on there we have the chance going on which which he probably fed off that dropping 25 i think eight and five on us as well but Going back to Trey Tennyson, uh, we talked with Coach Rice a little bit, and Jamie talked about it after the game, is that he's such a cool story because he got no offers, and he's a kid from Arlington, and, you know, he had to work his way from JUCO to A&M Corpus Christi and just to be here. And uh, Coach talked about how he's as hard of a worker as it gets, and he's been one of the best shooters in the nation this year. Like, he's the only player in the Big 12 to be top four in the conference in three-point percentage true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage, which is insane to be that efficient as a guard and shooting 47% from three. And I think he's got a hundred attempts on the year is just crazy. So um, the fact that he's doing this on an everyday basis is insane. And if you can count on Trey to be that, that 
go-to scorer, I guess, because at this point in the year, he's probably, you know, your second most reliable scorer outside of E-Man, which is mm-hmm. um, probably not what you expect as a Frog fan. But the game like Tech, and he even had a decent game against Texas on Saturday, on your yesterday when I'm sure we're going to know more. But, yeah, shout-out Trey Tennyson for sure is one of the best performers of the game. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Emmanuel Miller had 11 points in this game. He was 2 of 7 from the field. Uh, seven of ten for the free throw line. So really, he didn't have one of his better games offensively. And the thing that's uh, great about this TCU team is that when he, you know, shoots only shoots the ball seven times, they can still beat you know a top fifteen team in Texas Tech. Like Tennyson stepping up was huge. Micah Peavy was four or four from three. <clears throat> he had eighteen points and five rebounds, four assists um Jameer was two of two from three the team was 11 of 20 from behind the arc and sh- that's 55 percent, which is a huge number for them and if they're going to be able to pick up some slack when e-man is you know not not having one of those massive games that we've seen him have I think that's huge yeah and and that's the thing too I think that is so special about this team is that this this TC basketball team has so much depth to it. And it's not just that it's that they have depth, but they have guys that understand their roles and the roles that they need to play. Um, you know, I think there's there's games where Jameer Nelson might start, there's games where Jameer Nelson might come off the bench and he has to provide. There's games where Chuck is gonna have to come off the bench, Jacoby Coles is gonna have to come off the bench, Michael Peavy's gonna have to come off the bench. And it's not like, you know, I I I really feel like Jamie Dixon has created a really good culture on the team to the point where the, the, the natural rotation of these players coming in off the bench, it's, it's healthy for the team because each of these guys knows what they, what, what they need to bring to the team. And and they understand that their roles are just as important as everything else. Um, no matter if you're, you know, just, just a part of that starting five or if you're coming off the bench. So. Yeah. I wanted to harp on, on this too, a little bit because We'll get more on the guard play going on in the Texas game, but focusing on the game against Tech, uh, there's an interesting stat that in games that TCU has won during Big 12 play, Jameer Nelson and Avery Anderson's turnovers per game are at 2.6, and in losses, it's at 8.6. In this Texas Tech game, they had zero combined turnovers, which is so massive for TCU to, because um, we've seen it so far this year, like the Iowa State game and you know, other games where it's been so turnover heavy, which is one of the biggest weaknesses of this team, I think. So when you have your guards being able to take care of the ball so well against Tech, it's it's tough to lose that game as well. So um, shout, it, shout out to Avery and Jameer for having such good control in that game because they really um, kept it under control and and against a Tech team that has great guards, as we saw in Pop and, uh, and other guys like that. But for sure, a, a stud game from Avery and, and Jameer as well. Yeah, I think they're the most important pieces in terms of, like, if they're turning the ball over, like you said, it's just the the likelihood of you winning the game is significantly lower. Another guy that we can talk about more um, later, but Jacoby Coles now has two back-to-back double-figure scoring games, which he he had not scored in double figures since December 2nd against Georgetown. How big do you guys think it is um, his possible, you know, rebound from, you know, he was out for a while with the injury, wasn't scoring the ball well, wasn't really playing that well, but now he's scored 12 points against Texas Tech and 10 against Texas. How big 
is a guy like is is having a guy like him um potentially you know being able to come back and play at the level we saw earlier in the year yeah i mean for jacoby i i I think one thing that's great about him is that he's at least in this texas game and, and even against texas tech he he ate in the paint i mean he did really good work in the paint um you know the, the the rebounding has been tough for TCU, but I think one thing that he brings is just good good um good play in the paint and and he can pull up from to 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 hit his mid range uh, mid range uh, jumpers. Um, again, he's 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 a role player on this team. He understands the role that he needs to play, and I think he's he's slowly finding his way back. Um, and it's important, especially at this point for TCU, who who you know TCU is a very streaky team and if they get a couple guys back here and they, they start hitting their stride at the right time, this team can go on a run. Um, just as we've seen, I mean, they, they've, they, they won three games in a row, three of their last five. So um, sometimes I, 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 I feel like the, there's, there's no ceiling for this team at certain points. Yeah. I think uh, there's two guys on TCU that's more unique than anybody else, I think. And it's uh, Jacoby Coles and Chuck O'Bannon. Like, they're going to have games where they have like no points and play no minutes. And they're going to have games where they drop like 20 and something. So to get, you can't get too high with the highs and too lows with the lows with them. Cause they're somewhere in the middle and they're going to show up when um, you need them most. Like I always say, uh, you can never write off Chuck O'Bannon, even though he'll have games where he just literally puts up zero and you can never write off Jacoby Coles. Cause he's been non-existent for the past month and then he just comes up um as one of our best players in the past couple of games um so but specifically to Jacoby I mean he can play such a big role with him specifically more because he's more of like that, that big frame almost um and this team has been the big men have been shaky so what Jamie's done a, lo- a lot more recently the past couple of games is go to the smaller lineup where you have Jacoby and E-Man at your um almost like a dual four type of thing and go with that small ball lineup, which, which Jamie's been liking. So if Jacoby can be effective consistently, then I think we could turn to that small ball lineup more, which uh, we've had success at times. Like it, in the tech game, it was very successful, a little bit less with um, Texas as we couldn't get it. We couldn't be as good on the boards as we wanted to, but um, yeah, I think that small ball lineup is specifically with Jacoby. If he could be efficient, it could be a huge advantage for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, getting him back would be a um a big a big deal for TCU, but let's uh, if you guys don't have anything else on this game. Obviously, this was a big win and um you know, Texas Tech was a top 15 team, it was a big win at home. We'll move on to Texas, which I think we'll have more to talk about because it was a loss and yeah. there were some things that went wrong. Um Ian, you want to start and just uh, overall thoughts on that game? I know the atmosphere was really great uh, in the Schulmeyer, but what what were your thoughts on that game and how it turned out? Yeah, no, I I I thought TCU got off to a great start. Um, I mean, the 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 team jumped out to a good start, and and it's something that's been a bit uncharacteristic for this team. We, we've kind of gotten used to the slow starts and having to kind of claw the you know claw our way back into games. But I liked what I saw from TCU early on. They held Texas scoreless for the first you know, for, for the first three minutes, um, E-Man hit that first three to open the scoring. Then Avery Anderson had, had a real quick seven points. 
Um, I thought early on there's a lot of good ball movement, really sharp passing, and then you know throughout the game, obviously basketballs, you know, it's it's a game of runs, and I think just down the stretch, TCU, there were a couple minutes here and moments where TCU kind of just you know turned the lights off for 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 just a little bit, and Texas took advantage. Um, Texas didn't blink when they were down. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing is that no, like, despite the atmosphere, Texas just played to their, you know, they played to their strengths and, um, you know, there, there were issues, you know, as, as we'll talk about rebounding, um, leading the second chance points, um, TCU just frankly didn't get to the free throw line all that much. Um, and then lastly, with Max Aismas scoring the last 13 points for Texas, going on the 13 to two run to close out the game. Um, there's, there's not much you can do about that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, that's, that's just kind of how it played out. But um, that's the thing. TCU didn't play terribly. It was just a game of runs and there were moments where TCU were just out. They, they, they were outshone by, by Texas. So. Yeah. Um, to your point, the story of the game, I think that everyone will remember it as is that Ace was just going nuclear at the end. Like, when it was a tie game late in the game, I don't know, like four minutes left or something like that. When he had the break, we had the break and we were th- feeling good. And then he strips us clean and hits an and one. And then the next two threes, he hits a deep one. And Micah played great D and he yeah. just hit it in his face. Like Ace Miss is, um, I think he moved a 13th scoring all time in college basketball. He's just an elite shot maker that uh, you can't do anything about in those situations. But in terms of TCU play, yeah, I think two things more than other. Um, the rebounding, like you said, uh, rebounding's been one of our biggest strongs the whole year. And you, Jamie, harped on it post game a lot how TCU needed to win the rebounding to win the, re- the rebounding battle to win the game. And that just didn't happen. We were getting, you know, we're a bigger team than Texas, I think. You know, like their guards are small. They like to play a little bit smaller, which is why I think we had that smaller lineup out there. And we just didn't do our job. And then the other thing, which Ronnie Terry said post game, how, uh, the game plan is laid out against TCU and that we lack ball handlers. And when you pressure our guards, they seem to panic, which is how Iowa state beat us uh, before. So our guards are going to have to be better at handling that pressure and, you know, being pushed a little bit to be able to take care of the ball better. Because uh, as I noted that stat before, when Avery and Jameer keep their turnovers low, we win. When they don't, we lose. They had seven combined, which, which can't happen against um, a team that you want to be at home. Yeah, that is the blueprint. Iowa State kind of created it, and Texas followed it well. Um, and in the Big 12, like when you have all these good defenses and these smart coaches, um, you can't lay out a blueprint a, br- a blueprint for these teams because they'll exploit it. Um, so what, like, I mean, what needs to happen for these guys? Because, you know, we've seen it consistently. Like when they are pressured, they don't handle it as well as you'd like them to, what needs to happen with these two guys for, for TCU to feel more comfortable with the ball in their hands? I, you know, I, I, I guess for me personally, I, I don't know if there's like one thing I can point to other than just the fact that I feel like this team fails to make adjustments when they need to. Um, they, they, I, and I hate using this term, but TCU very quickly can become a one dimensional team if they can make adjustments. Um, just like Nick said, we saw that in the Iowa state loss back in late January where it was, 
we we had one of the worst first halves that I think any of us have ever seen. Um, and and again, it's just making those adjustments and it's making those adjustments before halftime too, not you know going through the full you know first half and then finally having a having a chance to go you know retalk things over and figure out you know the the new game plan. But it's how do you deal with that in that moment to try to turn things around and obviously these guys are trying to do that. It's not like they're not, you know, they're, they're not oblivious to certain turnovers and things like that. And the, the issues with rebounding, but I think it's just that at times it feels like there's not one guy that can just turn things around and spark this team to make an adjustment. Yeah. We've um, going into this year, you knew losing Mike and DB that you were going to lack ball handlers. Like, and I don't even think Avery or Jameer were necessarily elite ball handlers at Oklahoma State or Delaware, rather than just, uh, I don't know, playmakers. I would say. Um, but yeah, it, you knew that you knew that in big men would be your two weak points of, of the season, and it came up big yesterday. I think. But what's also big to remember is that, you know, they against Tech they had zero turnovers, and maybe they didn't pressure them as much. But, uh, I think what happens in the course of a college basketball season is that a loss makes you think of all, like you get super low on the team and makes you think of all the, the bad points it is. And when you, you know, you think you can beat anybody in the country, but in reality, it's somewhere in between where, you know, we're going to have games where we struggle. We're going to have games where we succeed and we get turnovers and push the ball and transition more. Um, I do worry about us being dependent on that transition type of play because you know, if you're not forcing turnovers and you're not missing shots and you're forced to play in the half court, then it's super tough to win a game. Um, like, yes, it was encouraging that we beat Houston at home playing, you know, similar type of style, but still it's it's probably an alarming thing. Uh, in, in terms of the rebounding battle, I would have liked to actually see them because they had that small ball lineup that I talked about playing Jacoby and Eman a lot uh, there. I would have liked to see them keep an Uday on the floor a little bit more because he's been one of the best rebounders in the country so far this year. And he had the best plus minus on the team at 12 and he had a 200 offensive rating um, via Ken Palm for just playing, you know, 14 minutes and the next highest plus minus was four on the team. So if you're having success with Uday out there, I don't know why you don't run with him a little bit more um, because he, you know, he's not, obviously polished but he gives you that big presence that can that can clean the glass a little bit more so uh I would like playing a little bit more big ball when you need that but in terms of the guards yeah it it is it is a worry thing it is a worrisome thing for sure and especially outside of Avery and Jameer you you don't have any ball handlers like Mm -hmm. you can't really trust a Trey Tennyson to handle the ball or uh like Micah Peavy to handle the ball because they're just not those type of point guard type players. So that you knew that was going to be your weakness coming in. It's your, it's your weakness right now. And teams are definitely going to try to exploit you uh, mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the year doing that. Yeah. This rebounding thing is like, we've seen it hurt this team a lot this season already. And they out re- out rebounded tech on Tuesday and won, and now they come into this Texas game and they get out rebounded by 13 um, and you look at the you look at the stats like if you didn't watch this game, you just go to the team stats stuff. Um, it would probably look like TCU won. Like TCU shot fifty percent from the field, fifty eight percent from three. They 
had more assists than Texas did. They had less turnovers than Texas did. Like it really just did come down to that rebound differential. And you mentioned the big men, Nick, like TCU's three starting centers that they kind of rotate in and out had, had a combined, like, let me see one rebound. It looks like, and it was Xavier Cork with the one. So those three guys are the biggest guys on the floor and they're, they're, you know, collectively, I know they didn't play that many minutes, but coming away with one rebound just is not going to work. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a concern. It's been a problem. And I think that probably playing Uday more would, would help that number and help the rebounding battle a little bit. But still, when you're out-rebounded by 13, I think it's like a team thing. That something, you know, something they're doing isn't working and they're going to have to fix that because – Rebounding is probably the biggest stat you you look at when you can look at some of these teams' success. Yeah, and and kind of just piggybacking off of that, right? I mean, if you can't grab those rebounds, you allow for second chance points, and Texas had seventeen of those. Um, and um, you know, it's 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 just one of those things that it's in your control. And I think that's also one of the biggest things for this team is you need to control what you can control, turnovers and for the most part, rebounding. Um, there were multiple, you know, moments against Texas where where Texas would chew up the, the the shot clock, get a shot off, and then the rebound falls in between nobody, and then there's a Texas guy there to, to bring it back. And there were times where even after that they'd miss another shot, it'd get rebounded, and then and then Texas grabs it again. And again, I mean it's I'm I, I feel like, you know, we're just sitting here not really like we're, we're, we're all just kind of like, OK, what's going on? Why are we not in good positions to get rebounds? And mm-hmm. I, I agree. I think it goes back to 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 Ernest Uday not being in there for for certain parts of the game, um, at least against Texas. He, he he played really well early on. I thought he did a lot of off the ball work with screens and movement in the paint and things like that. And then all of a sudden he just didn't seem like he was a mainstay throughout that game. And and I think he could have provided a little more for TCU. Yeah, I think uh, I probably don't worry about the rebounds as much as I do the guard play, I would say. Like, if you actually look throughout the season, they haven't been horrible rebound. Like, they're the 21st best offensive rebound team in the nation um, throughout the whole year. And they're at 153 of 362 teams for defense and rebounds. So they actually haven't been bad. I just think it was highlighted a lot being in this big game. Um, I worry about, yeah, the the pressure guard play too. And I also want to add that Chuck O'Bannon really didn't play today due to an, an illness. He had one minute and he's one of your best rebounders off the bench mm-hmm. that you can kind of play at that four a little bit more. So you're definitely shorthanded there. But uh, yeah, it was a bad effort that game on the boards. Uh and it can be a struggle at times because, you know, we've seen it pop up in some big scenarios, but uh, they really haven't been bad this year on, on the boards. So I, I would worry about the the greater weakness being uh, that pressure guards because the two, t- the two games that they've really been pressured in Iowa state and in Texas, they haven't handled it well. So uh, that's probably my big takeaway of what, of what they need to fix and work on going forward. Yeah. Yeah, and despite both those things, like the guard play and the rebounding, TCU had an opportunity to win the game late. Yeah. And um they they didn't obviously because Azemus was pretty phenomenal. And yeah, I think Nick and I have talked a lot about how this Texas team does have talent to be 
a good basketball team and maybe you know this was a really nice win for them they they were able to kind of stave off these TCU runs that um the frogs made time and time again and it looked like I mean the momentum was in TCU's favor I feel like in the last couple minutes and then Ace Miss just takes over so what are your um before we before we look ahead to Iowa State what are your guys' thoughts on this Texas team and um does this win over TCU make you feel different about them than you may have felt earlier? Um, I I don't know if it makes me feel any different. I I I I feel that it's again it's 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 a it's a telltale sign of just what this Big Twelve conference is like. Um, firstly, I don't think Texas is a bad team at all. Um, but you know, losing an unranked, sorry, losing to an unranked team is definitely tough, especially at home. Um, but, but Texas is a quality team and they, and, and, and they've shown it. They have some guys that can shoot from anywhere. And obviously Ace Miss was kind of the guy um, on Saturday that, that showed that the most, but they're, they're a quality team. They, they, they are, they have a great head coach. Um, and, and I think they're, they're very experienced as well. I, I, I said it earlier, but they don't really let they it doesn't seem at least against TCU it didn't seem like they let the atmosphere get to them and I think that's one of the biggest things especially in the Big 12 when you play against these really good schools and also these schools that have huge fan bases and when you play away it's really hard to get wins um and and even at home it's it's hard to get wins sometimes so yeah you know we do the the in or out bubble segment um every week on the show and Texas has been out the past couple weeks and I think this win, you know, they pushed Houston to overtime earlier this week too, which mm-hmm. was, you know, huge, huge game for them because Houston's obviously one of the best teams in the nation. So I would say they're uh, they have a pretty nice cushion, I would say, in terms of being off the bubble at least for now and getting in that tournament. And um, you're right, like they are insanely talented. Uh, you know, Ace Miss, Tyrese Hunter, Desue, Shedrick, Cunningham. Like you can go on and on about dudes that they have. And I'm personally not a huge fan of Roddy Terry because I think his his in-game adjustments haven't been great. And that's why they've they've lost a lot of games that they shouldn't have this year. Uh, I think if Roddy Terry wasn't the coach of Texas and they had like a stud coach, they'd probably be one of the best teams in the nation just based on talent and playing at a, a style that helps them more. But, you know, kudos to them. That's a huge win. Like, shout out to our environment. That was one of the best environments we've ever had. Um in the history of TCU basketball. So yeah, I mean, Texas gets everybody's best environment. I would say just because of the brand and, you know, horns down is always fun and stuff like that. So they're used to it and they're going to be ready for the big moment. Um, They're definitely, yeah, their talent alone makes them dangerous, but I, you know, they're, they're probably not like a top three, top five team in the big 12. They just, they, they played a good game and they can play a good game and they can beat anybody in the nation if you want to like that's just the big 12 you're gonna you can beat anyone you can lose to anyone it just depends what how you show up every night yep all right let's look ahead to next week um only one game uh they they don't have a midweek uh game this week so that's kind of nice i think for rest we talked a lot about the minutes that these guys are playing right now like coming off that three overtime baylor game uh two weekends ago like these guys are, I imagine, pretty tired, but their one game is not an easy game. It's one of the tougher games you can get. It's Iowa State at Hilton Head. Um, 
or at Hilton Coliseum. So what are your guys' thoughts on this team? Iowa State went to uh, Baylor last night on Saturday and played a really, really fun game. Yeah, they came back. shout out that game. Yeah, they came back. Baylor took the lead late, and then Iowa State drilled a, a three at the buzzer, but it turns out that the the game-winning three was still – in in uh, I don't know I can't remember who was shooting it but it was it was it, just, it was slightly late so Baylor won the game. Um, what what do you think about this game? This is a rematch. Obviously, we've talked about how TC did not handle Iowa State's pressure well at all in the the first time these two teams saw each other, and then now you're adding the Hilton Coliseum uh, atmosphere to this, which is one of the best in the country. What are your guys' thoughts on this game, and what would you like to see from TCU? Just better ball handling. I I I really think um I I, I just want to see an improvement from the last game that we played against Iowa State. Um, TCU has improved since then on 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 certain things as well. But I feel like this the the whole atmosphere of, of playing at Iowa State might get to this TCU team a little bit. Um, again, they, they I feel like they they really struggle to make in game adjustments and with with the with this type of atmosphere on top of that if they don't get off to a good start and and a and a convincing start um i think there definitely could be a problem on saturday yeah i i worry this game's so tough i think iowa state's a top three team in the conference and i think they're you know they have a top five defense in the nation they're the best defense in the nation at forcing turnovers and getting steals uh which is obviously tc's biggest weakness they had the blueprint to beat us, which is pressing the guards we saw at the Sholey, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I guess that is now. Um, so it's going to be super tough. It's one of the toughest games you can have at the Big 12 playing at Iowa State. Uh, I, it's going to be super hard to get this win. I'm not crazy confident in it. Uh, but again, you're in the Big 12, so you you know this team could beat anybody and they could lose to anybody. Um, yeah, it's I don't even love the week rest. I don't know. I, you know, it's the whole rest rust thing. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I would have kind of liked a quick get back to get this bad taste out of your mouth against Texas, mm -hmm. but yeah, you're right. They played so many, you know, the triple overtime and, you know, every game TCU plays seems to be a thriller that takes it out of you. So mm -hmm. maybe the rest is going to be good. And Jamie noted in the press conference uh, that a lot of, players were you know sick at practice this week and you know chuck missed the game pretty much because they were sick so hopefully they can get better for iowa state but i wouldn't expect to win if you're a tcu fan just because of how good iowa state is not as much as tcu being bad or anything just winning at hilton is obviously as tough as it gets as you said but anything can happen but it, it yeah if i were to predict this i would i'd probably say a loss yeah you guys have both alluded to it a little bit previously but let's go ahead and do the predictions um there's only one game this week obviously like we talked about so you know Iowa State the other thing about this Iowa State game is the Cyclones didn't have Tame and Lipsy the first time that these two teams played in yeah. Fort Worth and they're gonna have Tame and Lipsy who uh, you know if you don't know who that is he's one of the best dudes in the whole whole conference so yeah. that's gonna be something that TCU's gonna have to deal with um you know I think it's gonna be really tough I think going to Ames and winning is one of the toughest asks in college basketball. My official 
prediction probably is going to be a loss here, uh, which I don't think is the end of the world. That's a really good team, but it. I think Nick, you're right. Like it would be nice to get, like if you flip, like after this Iowa State game, they get West Virginia. Maybe if you, if there's any way you can have that West Virginia game this week, you know Tuesday, um, to you know try to get back after an unfortunate loss. But yeah, a week of practice, I'm sure, isn't going to hurt them. Um, but despite that, I'm going to go with a loss here. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to stick with the loss. It, it's, it's not that I don't think that this TCU team can do it. It's just where they're at, where they're playing at, um, and who it's against. And you said Tame Lipsy being back again, we didn't see him in Fort Worth playing against us and Iowa state caused all sorts of problems yeah. against TCU and is specifically in that first half. Um, the second half was a bit of a different story, but um, yeah, it's it, it's it's going to be a really tough game. I'm I'm kind of worried that even if we get this loss, it's you know because we have a week to kind of sit and think about this Texas loss. If we go to Iowa State, lose again, I'm I'd be a little worried about maybe just the mental side of things for these guys of just being like, okay, we've played two games over the last, you know, week and a half about, and both of them have been losses to, yeah, quality teams, but we want to get out of this rut, you know? And again, TCU is a very streaky team for various reasons and maybe, you know, the mental side of it and having that confidence and being hot is one of them. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of worried that if, if, if TCU, you know, gets a loss up at Iowa, um, it could, cause some issues going forward but we'll 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 have to see so yeah i'd say a loss too but yeah again as we've harped on it's more towards iowa state just being a really really good team and hill and coliseum being one of the toughest places to play but i will say too this is probably your toughest regular season game you have left on your schedule you know you've played houston you've gone to kansas they've had uh you've gone to baylor they've had the toughest a schedule in the big 12 so far of any team and this is another super tough game but then you get that again it's still a big 12 but that easier schedule down the stress where i think you can be riding into the big 12 tournament at your hottest you know you have two games against west virginia you play ucf uh you know even at just after the iowa state game you play west virginia k-state um it's not the worst thing to be as down as you are at the start of february because all that matters is getting in the tournament, getting hot at the right time. So I wouldn't get too discouraged if they lost this game because there's so much season left and you have that opportunity to figure out your work out your kinks and, and get right before the real games that matter so much start. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everybody, everybody picks against the frogs. Hopefully we can come back on next week and make fun of yeah. that. But, um, yeah. We Ian, picked the thanks. win against Texas last week. So yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. We're doing. Ian, it on thanks purpose. for coming on. We appreciate it a lot, and hopefully, you can come back on later in the year. We can keep, you know, we can talk more basketball. Yeah, of course, um, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Again, I'm a I'm a huge fan of you know of 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 this show. I love again. I I, I love watching it and and hearing y'all's takes. So uh, keep up the great work, and I'm uh, I'm 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 happy to be a part of it today. So thanks, yeah, man. appreciate you again for coming on, Ian. You know, Ian's, Ian's a good friend at Killer Frog, so it's always fun talking ball with him. Yeah. just want to thank you again for coming on. Oh, for sure.
All right. Well, let's take a um, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in TCU assistant coach Michael Rice. We have a really good conversation with him coming up. So yeah, stick around. Great, inter- great interview for sure. Stick around. Yeah. Thanks again, Ian. All right. Now we have a special guest on Frog Fever, uh, assistant coach Michael Rice coming in. Appreciate you. Ha- appreciate you coming on. He's been at TCU for four seasons, and um, it's this first year as an actual assistant coach working in scouting and analytics, um, but basically just looks for recruits and analytics for players and opponents if I'm getting it right. But um, yeah, just to kind of start it off, if you want to just describe us to your job and what you do on a daily basis to so fans can get a feel for what you do. Yeah, so it uh it kind of changes by like by the season um you know whether it's off season or during season but my main my main responsibility is the the scouting of our you know of our opponents i would say is our is my number one um responsibility and that's you know basically staying ahead you know if we're playing you know like tech for instance on a tuesday like i've already you know finished our texas scout before that game is even started and working, you know, hand in hand with our other assistants and, um, you know, with, with scouting. And then, you know, kind of goes into that is probably five to six games of their previous games, um, watching through all their offense, all their defense, all their um, baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, um, ball screen coverages, you know, you name it. And we watch it. And in addition to just watching film, like you, you kind of touched on the analytics and there's a lot of, services we have to you know kind of we always uh, for me I like to watch first and then then look at the numbers to just see if my eyes were like deceiving me but it's usually uh, watch five to six games first and then you know read some analytical reports and kind of dive into numbers and just to you know finish their tendencies and, and fully grasp everything watching and uh, numbers and then kind of in the the off season too is a lot of for me is you know, we have Tony Benford and Dwayne Broussard and Jamie McNeely who do the bulk of the uh, recruiting um, as far as they have the relationships. And my job for recruiting is more identifying and um, putting together style of play presentations. And, um, you know, we'll do like a, uh, I call it a basketball resume, but it's, you know, a deep dive into their game analytically and film wise. And when they come on campus and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll talk a lot in those presentations, but kind of just identifying and would this kid fit for us? Does, does numbers match up to how we want to play? And, and that kind of in for the, for the recruiting aspect when it's not during season. Um, You mentioned analytics and analytics. It seems like has become a lot, a much bigger part of the sport uh, as a whole. Um, What, how, how does TCU use analytics? What, what exactly does, does that look like yeah so analytics in the college game are is is definitely way different than it is in in professional sports um especially the nba obviously we only play you know 30 some games a year they play 82 games mm-hmm. so obviously with a smaller sample size you can't you know 100 percent base all your decisions off of analytics and we certainly don't here at tcu but we do use it as um as a as a pretty big tool especially we started more now with like just for for individual guys like and analytics is is a very broad term like one thing we do with analytics every day is we have our managing GAs track our crashing numbers every day so like our our threes fours and fives like every time a shot goes up in practice or in a game 
we track it. And then they have a number for a week, a percentage crash, and they can get either a one for if it's a great crash, a 0.5 for a eh crash, and then a zero if they don't go at all. And we do the same thing for box outs. So like just little stuff like that, like our play call analysis, like when coaches in a game, I'm marking down obviously every every call, play call that we make and what you know point per possession that yields and um just stuff like that um so we don't usually like you know we don't use it for like lineup analysis a lot um there's not enough data really in college basketball to use use it for lineup analysis but we use it for scouting a lot obviously um our individual what happens for us like analysis on the game and then in recruiting we use it a lot to to evaluate and and especially for yeah for evaluation of players and especially the transfer portal high school is hard to use analytics there's not a whole lot out there um they're starting to get better with some of the Nike, the EYBL and Adidas circuits kind of putting numbers out there, but mainly for the transfer portal, we use it for, for evaluation, but I would say more for, for us, for evaluation of our performance scouting, and then transfer portal evaluation is what we use them, use it for the most. So obviously it, in my opinion, it's been a very successful season of the year, 16 and five and five and three in conference uh, off a three game win streak too. What have you seen from this season and what are trends that you've liked and disliked from what's been going on so far? Yeah. So, um, kind of our, our non-conference, um, we were still trying to kind of figure out who we are and what rotations we want to play and who, who's going to be, you know, do we want to play bigger? Do we want to play smaller? Um, so we were still, I think, and, and when you have an old team and everyone says, Oh, experience old, um, that but when you bring in a lot of guys with their last year of college basketball you know you, you have a little bit at first of well this is my last year of college basketball I want to be the guy I need to you know I, it's my time to to get you know this is my last year before I'm trying to play professional basketball so I think we had a little bit of that going on early but you know I can't you know I can't say enough about coach Dixon and how he's you know taking all of these big personalities and and successful guys that have you know thousand point scores at other places and how he's instilled his culture and our culture onto them and and you've kind of seen that you know for non-conference and you know kind of dropping a couple that we shouldn't have in the non-conference and and getting better throughout it, especially offensively defensively and you he says it all the time in every press conference he has and to our team every day um defensively we're not where we need to be yet um yeah we, we he always says that <laughs> yeah we've you know we it's actually kind of amazing that we've we've outscored as many teams as we've had in in conference play so far and and coach will echo that home it's 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 a dangerous game to play trying to outscore people um and he says you know he says to our guys every day that we need to be better defensively so i think offensively with um obviously playing through Emmanuel and the trey's emergence um has kind of been the biggest thing for us offensively where we've really figured out what we want to go to play wise, um, who's playing the bulk of the minutes, who's getting the most of the shots um, offensively. Now, defensively, we still, we still have some things to figure out. We're still having way too many breakdowns and um, our, obviously our numbers show that with our offensive efficiency, I think in conference games is third right now in the conference and our defense being, I think 10th or 11th. Um, right now so that's kind of where we we figure ourselves out offensively besides one game um, at Iowa State where they kind of just crawled up in us but other than that we figure ourselves out offensively we figured out our rotations um, just got to figure out defensively what's a, what works for us and moving forward that's our biggest our biggest our number one thing you mentioned Trey Tennyson and he had another good night against Texas Tech obviously what can you say about 
his recruitment one you know coming out of you know he's a experienced college player and then you know even the development that he's shown throughout the season yeah so and, and like I said coach kind of mentioned in his press conference last night um mm. Trey was a kid that literally did not get recruited out of high school he was kind of a, a smaller skinny kid um right here and from from man he he's he says he's from Arlington but he went to high school in Mansfield um and went to Juco and then had to go to Central Connecticut State and then uh Texas A&M Corpus and then now to TCU and it's just a kid that like it's so funny because it's such like a, a cliche thing but like it, there's just nobody that works harder than him like there's it's it's not a secret and we you know coach Dixon says this all the time like getting better and, and and improving is a boring thing. It's, it's a, it's not a secret. Like the people that work the hardest and are in here the most. And, you know, I, I just with Trey this morning, he came in and like, he had a great offensive game last night. He had a not so great defensive game, but he came in and watched, like he didn't even want to look at his offense. He was like, you know, I know we're good there. Like, let's just watch. So him, um, coach Dixon, myself and coach McNeely sat down with him and watched all of his defensive clips today. Like he just continues to get better. And, yeah, kind of when he went in the portal, like we had a connection through his trainer who also has trained, um, you know, Micah PV and all, you know, we knew him just cause he's from the area and um, well, yeah. And then as soon as we started diving into his film and his numbers, he was clearly, you know, one of the best shooters in the portal, if not the best shooter in the portal last year. And obviously that was an area of need for us from last year um, where we didn't shoot it well at all. So and and being a local kid and having him wanted to come home and play in front of his front of his family and you know we identified him as one of the best shooters in area of need and it it was just kind of all a perfect storm and then it was kind of as soon as he committed it was like it was great every day he was he was organizing pickup games he was getting other guys in the gym to work out with him it was just kind of a a perfect storm and he just continues to get better and more confidence as we kind of gain more confidence in him um kind of at the end of non-conference in Hawaii and then you know rolling into Kansas and obviously he's had some great games in conference play. Yeah. That story Jamie was telling in the presser last night was sick to, to hear about it, how he harps on the transfer portal as being positive because it's yeah. been so negatively, I don't know, looked at through this new age of college sports, but yeah. you mentioned um, Micah Peavy and we've known him, you know, he's, this is third year here and we've known him as being that elite defender and playmaker and you know, running fast out in transition, but Last night against Tech, he went four for four from three. What can you say about his development as a player, specifically in offense or as a shooter over the years, and and how he's worked to get to that point? Yeah, no, I, I mean, kind of the kind of similar to Trey. Like Mike has never, Mike has always been a hard worker. See, even even when he wasn't making shots, it wasn't because he wasn't working hard. I think Micah mentally has grown this, you know, through this year more than he has even like just it was. I don't think it's anything like you know. It hasn't been anything. Oh, he changed his jump shot. He, you know, he didn't, he's worked harder this summer. Like Mike has always been a hard worker and someone that loves the game and cares. I think just mentally this year, he kind of took a step up. And, and I think it's something like when you lose a Mike miles and a Damian ball, like somebody has got to step up and kind of like have that opportunity. And I think that's kind of been a big thing for him is like, now he's one of our, like, he's the guy, like, he's one of our guys and, you know, a guy that we have to count on and rely on. And sometimes that's that that solves, you know, where it's it's just mentally I have to like I have to they they're counting on me and I have to make shots. 
And that's kind of what I've seen more with him. It is is mentally he's in a way better space offensively than he had than he had been, you know, obviously in his previous years, which he still did some good things. And then obviously at his year, you know, his year at Texas Tech. But he's definitely grown. He's gotten a lot better. We've put the ball in his hands a lot more. Um, coaches, we've you know, coach all the time is never. It's his biggest thing is that even shots last year. Like I think we 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 say it all the time to recruits about development. But like Micah took like I think he took four threes and didn't make one his freshman year at Texas Tech, and to come in under coach and I don't think I've ever seen Coach Dixon yell at him for taking. Uh, you know a three like he'll never like that's that's not who he is he's gonna you know he he wants guys to be NBA players and obviously Micah has to be a become a better shooter to to be an NBA player and that's something that coach has never done is is limit him and and it's and it's helped because he takes him in game he takes him in practice and it's translated to the games um Emmanuel Miller is kind of continued to blossom into this like first first option for TCU what is your what are your thoughts on the season he's ha- having and where does he, if you had to say, where does he kind of rank in guys that, that you've been around? Like we've, we've talked a lot with, with people who've been around the program who've said he's the best leader they've ever seen. What can you say about that? And just the season that he's had. Yeah. E-Man is an unbelievable culture piece um, re- regardless of skill and and what he means to us on the court. He's just an unbelievable uh, teammate person um, never had a teammate that didn't like Emmanuel. He's like he's he's best friends with everybody in our team. Um, so just before that, and you know, before even that, and he's always everybody's biggest hype man. Um, there's never had a game where he's complaining about, uh, and he plays a lot of minutes, so he doesn't have much to complain about. But but there's never been even like in past years, there's never been a game where he's complaining. He's always a team first guy. Um, and then kind of just to speak to his development in this year too is, yeah, I mean, he, he came from an A&M team when he first got here where he was the leading scorer and they threw the ball, they, you know, they threw to him in the post, the mid post all the time and got out of his way and let him work. And, you know, coming here, his biggest thing was like, I need to, you know, I want to become an NBA player. How do I do that? And, and we were like, Emmanuel, you need, you know, you know, you got to be able to step out on the perimeter a little bit more. You got to be able to defend guards a little bit more. You got to become that versatile, you know, kind of be able to guard one through five. You can step out and hit shots while, you know, also take advantage of your size and, you know, and athleticism down low. So, and he's kind of, that's all coming to fruition this year. Um, One thing we talked about with him was more volume three-point shooting and he's done that to an extent this year i think he's shooting 39 percent um another guy that did not make a three before he came to tcu he was like i think he was over six um i show the graphics to our recruits all the time that literally like he didn't make one three at a&m before he came to tcu and again coach allowed him to do that and and blossom and then yeah and then when you lose a like i said before with micah even too when you lose mike miles and a damian ball and that you know where we kind of ran everything through them last year, um, ball screens and, and stuff like that and getting out in transition. Um, we needed somebody to be, to be our go-to guy. And that's, you know, E-Man's kind of blossomed into that with, you know, we can get them in the mid post. We can get them, you know, kind of on a quick rush screen, pitch screen to get them downhill. Um, obviously he's one of the best transition players in the country and one of the best offense rebounders in the country. And he's obviously added the three point shooting ability and ability to uh, attack closeouts on the perimeter and, and stuff like that too. But can't say enough about him. Um, 
about his development offensively and defensively being able to guard and yeah, he's, he's become the guy. And I think, uh, like we said, there's no one, you know, he's gotten three big 12 player of the weeks. Two of them have been in conference play. Like nobody else can say that. And, you know, he's, he's, he's well on his way to a first team all big 12 year. And, and hopefully if we keep, you know, got to keep winning some games, but getting that player of the year conversation yeah, too. Definitely. Well, looking at the future of the program, I mean, it's obviously on an upwards path. You guys have the the 11th ranked signing class in the nation next, and it's one of the best in TCU history. What do you look for in recruits to kind of either fit the scheme or fit what you guys have going on here? And how have you seen the program grow as far as landing these top recruits that you weren't getting in the past? Yeah, um, and a lot of that, you know, obviously we have a lot, we, there's some very connected people on our staff and especially coach Broussard and coach uh, Duane Broussard and Tony Benford are unbelievably connected within the state of Texas. And that definitely helps. And they, they know every it's like, they're on the phone all day long of those two um, recruiting. And there, there's are two people I look up to a lot and, and who I've learned a lot from. Um, and obviously, you know, along with coach, with coach Dixon. So those two um, especially have kind of spearheaded our, our recruitment and, and with, you know, with coach being such a, uh, you know, legendary figure and it's, it's kind of, it's helped. And um, as far as what we look for, um, we, we always kind of, we, we have a, a mold obviously. And we're every, every opposing coaches say that as a TCU is big, fast and athletic. Um, and, and we kind of, we kind of take that where, and, and coach has done such a, has such a, has done such a good job from whether it's Pitt or here is kind of taking someone that has a body, a, a big athletic build, and then we can, we can develop them. And, and, and kind of, and it's kind of what we've done, you know, even with Micah and E-Man who came out of the portal, but Desmond Bain, who had a, you know, had a great body and it was athletic and could get downhill, but wasn't a great, you know, wasn't very skilled, great shooter coming out of high school and, and developing those, those guys. So kind of, um, is that's kind of our, our first thing we look at is they need to have a big 12. We call it a big 12 body, you know, look around this league. There's not a lot of skinny skill, you know, skinny kids or skin, you know, skinny skilled kids coming out of high school, um, that play in the big 12 right away. Like you need to have a, a big 12 body for the most physical league in the, in America. And then just kind of character wise, like we, we take all high character kids that they're, you know, nobody's, you know, their high school coaches love them. Their AU coaches love them. Um, and, and it's just kind of the, with the 11th rated recruiting class, it's just, that's all momentum built, built up from, from, from these, you know, two years of, of success. And when, you know, a kid is watching, you know, Mike Miles on national television in the, you know, in Arizona in the second round of the NCAA tournament, or, you know, our, our game versus Gonzaga last year and, and beating these teams year after year and all the top 25 wins. And we spent the top 25 is it's just momentum and, you know, you get a kid, especially a, a local kids, and they, they want to play for TCU and they want to play for Jamie Dixon. Yeah, you touched on this a little bit, but transfer portal specifically, like I feel like TCU has done a good job of balancing high school recruiting and transfer portal recruiting. How important do you think that is in this new kind of landscape of college athletics? Yeah, so obviously the portal has been really good to us. I think our whole all 10 guys we play have been in the portal at some point. Um so I, I know it actually, they've all been in the portal at some point, but um, yeah, we, we kind of, it, it kind of works hand in hand. Once you, we had to kind of create through the portal these past three years. Um, 
and it's just kind of the way it was with we were, we're lucky enough to be in the metroplex where a lot of there's so much talent around here and especially kids that want to come home and play in front of their families with with a lot of our kids um obviously jacoby micah uh xavier to an extent uh avery now um so like we've we, we and trey like we we've gotten a lot of kids that wanted to come back home and play in front of their families which is great and you know, with the portal, I think we play a really enticing style with the up and down and, you know, we call ourselves fast break you now. And like, that's been good. And, and kids want to, and especially guards want to come play in a up, uh, up pace tempo system where we're scoring all of our, a lot of our, you know, 20% of our points in transition. Um, but with that being said, it, it's hard to build through high school. If you don't have, a, if you haven't built a, a program that's, you know, has a winning culture, right away so now that i think that's the the 11th ranked recruiting class has kind of been the result of building through the portal and now that we've you know we've had an established program here now for six seven years under coach dixon that we can now get attract some of the top high school talent if that makes sense it's kind of a a cycle effect that you need to build the wins and stay old and 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 be old because don't get me wrong you got to be old to win in this league and and have experience and then that being said, now you can develop and, and build your high school recruiting. Yeah, talking more about uh about how your start at TCU, I, I heard a story. So your first year as a GA was the COVID year. So yeah. when you first got the job, the coaches made you learn the whole huddle system before you even started on your own. Like yeah. how hard was that? And can you kind of speak to how, to how true the story was and how it helped you as a coach, I guess? Yeah, so I started as a GA, and we actually were one of the only like Power Five schools in the country that didn't have like a video coordinator position. So before I, you know, was able to be hired last year as a video coordinator, and then this year as an assistant. But um, yeah, so we basically are the one video GA was leaving, and we couldn't get to campus obviously early enough to because of COVID, everything was shut down. I couldn't get to campus early enough to learn anything. So. Basically, they just gave me a, a huddle sports class, like registrate, like a login registration, basically. And they basically were like, here's this registration. Um, here's a couple of videos and, you know, try your best. And uh, so That's I kind of, yeah, I was in my garage uh, after I graduated um, from the Division three school that I played at. And they, yeah, they were just like, we got to get started. You're going to be our, our video GA and you got to figure out how to use sports coach. And I just kind of. <laughs> I've always, you know, my dad was a, you know, division one head coach for a lot of years yeah. and I've been around the game. So I, I picked it up, picked it up pretty easily, but yeah, it's, it's, that's a true story. I did. They, I did learn, teach myself sports code in the uh, in my garage and I kind of try trial and errored it until I, until I actually got to campus and learned a lot more. It's crazy how that works. Yeah. You mentioned that you were, you played at, at a D three school. Um, called Franklin and Marshall, I believe. Yep. Um, how is your, how is your, how have your playing days kind of impacted the way that you coach, if at all? Yeah, well, this is definitely a much higher level than, uh, than, than where I played, but um, that being said, like I said, I was a coach's son. I, I played AU my whole life. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, I, it, it definitely has, obviously it's, you know, there's, there's great coaches that weren't players, but I, I, personally feel that you know you just have a better sense of of what to expect out of players when you've when you've kind of gone through it yourself um I've always kind of felt that way so I, I can kind of use my own experiences to help these guys and 
you know, teaching something or, or watching something that I've gone, you've, you know, personally gone through. So that's, about, that's probably it with that. Yeah. And you talked about your dad a little bit, but obviously famous coach at Rutgers and, you know, assistant at Pitt and St. Joe's and all that kind of stuff. What was it like growing up learning from him? And did that make you want to be a coach or was it just random on your own? Yeah. And it's kind of like a, another like cliche thing is that you always kind of like look up to your dad and um, you kind of want to do what he w- did growing up. And, and, and it was definitely like that. He, my, I owe everything to my dad. I mean, he's taught me everything I know. And um, he's, he's such a, he was such a great role model growing up um, to look forward to and, and kind of with his work ethic and, determination and 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 yeah especially work ethic just watching how much he put into his teams all um year after year and yeah it, it did it, it kind of I, I didn't always want to coach and be like my dad but it I I just had no choice growing up like I was just I was at the kid at shoot around uh watching from the sideline I was you know when, when my dad got home from work and he'd put on his film I'd sit down there I'd sit next to him and halfway pay attention and and but like I was just immersed in it from such an early age that I kind of just was like brainwashed in a way like this is the only thing I feel like I'm good at and this is the only thing I want to do um which is you know my mom doesn't think is true but um it just kind of worked out that way where this is my passion and and definitely having a dad being a division one head coach growing up kind of started that and where you know I I learned so much from him and wanted to be like him when I was younger and it just kind of I was just kind of brainwashed from an early age. So you've been at TCU now for a couple of years and the years that you've been here have kind of been like the peak of the history of the of TCU basketball's program. Is there a moment um so far that has stuck out to you as as a favorite favorite moment? Oh man, there's been a bunch. Um and like you said, yeah, it's been an awesome awesome four years and I can't thank coach um, Dixon enough for giving me the opportunity to be at such a great place like this. Um, but a favorite moment. Oh, there's been a bunch. I'd say honestly, one of my favorite ones uh, this year, I mean, obviously like Jacoby's game winner, um, Arizona state's probably was, you know, you'll never forget a, a game like that. Um the game I'll never forget, though, was the one at Kansas last year um, when, you know, going into a building like that where it's like you're almost down 15 points just at the start for the the crowd and the, you know, kind of just the aura of it. Like you're it's just weighing on your guys, your minds, you know, before you even before you even stood it up. But to have a performance like that and beat them by I think it was 23 there and have the building be so quiet and and fans trickling out on a you know that doesn't happen there and it happened and that's that's probably one I'll never forget uh is the one at Kansas last year um that's probably 1A 1B with Jacoby's game winner yeah and I I got another story that I heard you went to this team sent you to Europe for the summer last year to you know learn about either basketball training or scouting or I don't know whatever was there what did you take from that in either European talent or the different scouting analytics from that trip yeah so yeah there's a (laughs) there's a NCAA rule that if people can't go out like they there's obviously our three recruiting assistants um and I'm I'm not out on the road a lot recruiting but they they uh 
couple of, there was some stuff going on and there was the, yeah, the FIBA U17 uh, World Cup was in Malaga, uh, Spain and, and Marbella, Spain. And yeah, we were recruiting a couple of kids on that were on the USA team. And, you know, we, we don't have any international kids on our team this year, but you always need to have a, somebody that can go see international talent. Cause you can get a couple of kids that are like, that are steals from over there that didn't get recruited heavily. So yeah, they sent me over there and it was uh it was an awesome experience to be honest, to be able to, to go watch, you know, a FIBA, a world cup and, you know, be with, be immersed in, in FIBA culture. And I've always been a fan of, you know, I'm a huge X's and O's geek. And, you know, that's some of the best, you know, basketball in the, ever is, is the, you know, Euro league and, and even, seven you know even watching u17 coaches over there was was awesome to see and pick up on some actions and stuff that i hadn't seen before and while also being in a pretty beautiful part of the world it was an awesome experience um yeah it was it was it was more of a recruiting trip rather than a learning trip but it was it was it was an awesome learning experience and to be able to go over there and watch uh all those games mm-hmm. obviously there's there's a lot of basketball left but if you if you had to say right now, like what is what does a successful season look like after the start you guys have had? Um, and you know, if if you reach that point, is is there a chance that this is the best team you've seen since you've been at TCU? Yeah. So, you know, and coach always says, like our the the ceiling is what we can get out of, you know, the, the ceiling is what our potential is. And he says it all the time that he thinks this team can be one of the best teams in the country. And I think we've shown that obviously like I, I do. And, and it's a, like, it's a, a crazy thing, but I, I do truly believe that at our best and when we're, and if we can figure this defense thing out, there's not a lot of teams in the country that can hang with our depth and length and athleticism. If we're making shots for a 40 minute basketball game. So I, you know, I truthfully believe that this can be a final four basketball team. Um, I don't want to put a, like, oh, if we don't make it here, it's a failure because anything can happen in the NCAA tournament. And we got to, you know, we still got to win some games. We got to win, you know, games to get there still. Um, so I don't want to put a, like, oh, if it's a disappointment, if we didn't get here. But I truly believe when we're, you know, and with the coach, the you know, the coaching we have with Coach Dixon and his experience, and this can be a Final Four team if we just figure that, figure ourselves out on the defensive side of the ball a little bit more. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, thanks for everything. This interview has been awesome. But if if we have uh, one or two more questions to to go before we get you out of here, no uh, Chuck O'Bannon, he's he's been one of the most fun players to follow. I would say a couple, you know, the last few years. And um, Jamie talked about his defense against Baylor was the highest graded, which and obviously a shot making against them. What do you think yeah. it is for Chuck O'Bannon against? when he sees the Baylor uniforms that he just goes crazy. You know, I don't know. And he's right too. Cause we do. Yeah. So we do a system and kind of just to retouch on the analytics part, we do a system. It's a fault system. Basically it's you, how many possessions you played, how many faults did we determine that you made? And then you get a number, uh, you know, and we say if it's over 0.2 faults per possession, then that's in the red. If you're in the 0.1 range, you're in the yellow and if you're in the below, if you're point zero something, then you're in the green. Um, and Chuck was actually our only guy in the Baylor game in the green, which which we we you know we love even more than the all the shots, the big shots that he hit. But I don't know, Chuck's just a a rise to the occasion type of guy in a lot of situ- situations. He's a 
you know, big shot Chuck, postseason Chuck. We've we've, we've caught him everything, but he, I don't know Chuck what it is. About, yeah, just, yeah. I don't know what it is about Baylor that he's just giving them nightmares over the years. Um, so, but yeah, he's uh, Chuck. Just is the type of guy that rises to the occasion when we need a big shot, and he's done it time and time again. Yeah. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you uh, coming on. We'll we'll let you get out of here, but um, thank you again for coming on. This was awesome and and a really cool look inside of the 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 program. Yeah, thank you so it. much, yeah, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're obviously killing it this season. So um, keep up the good work. All right, we'll see you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. Bye.